And welcome to the Scout Team Podcast. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network, which is on YouTube at youtube.com slash football game plan. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating as always. You want to do that, show your support for us, leave us a five-star rating. And if you want to find any one of our podcasts, you can find them on iTunes or on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast or you can find them archived on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash FBGP podcast. And joining me today on the Scout Team podcast is our analyst at Football Game Plan, Chris James. Chris, what's going on? I'm doing all right, Emery. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I am cooling, man. You know, I'm getting ready for an action-packed week. You know, I got scouting coming up. Uh, I got broadcasting coming up. So, you know, I'm going to be the – Ghost man, right, all over the place, man. But um, and the, the people are not familiar with the Scout Team podcast. We did these podcasts back during the draft season where we gave a recap on what we all saw at the Senior Bowl when we were there uh, at the Senior Bowl at the East-West Shrine game. We did a recap. Um, and during the draft, once I finished grading some prospects, I gave guys initial thoughts on uh, what I thought about the, that particular position and had them go check the video. So you guys are familiar with the Scout Team podcast, but the reason why we're doing one now is because we want to get you guys caught up on what we're looking at as it, as it goes to as a re, uh, in regards to players at these particular games this upcoming weekend. Not every game. Um, this is a unique week. is week zero, so it's only a few games, so we can probably cover every game on the schedule this week. But for the most part, we're going to pick a few games. More than likely, it's going to be some big marquee matchups, some interesting games, games of intrigue, and games that we're going to be at personally. So, for instance, like this week, I'll be at the Hawaii UMass game so I'll give you some thoughts on guys that I'm looking forward to seeing there but Chris before we get started it's always about your process we hear it constantly what's your scouting process what do you look for or how do you go about scouting so what's your scouting process look like you know I'll start with my quote that we had in one of the books about the entire game of football it's a simple game played coached and managed by complex people so with scouting, I think that sometimes it can be made to be more than it is. It can be made to be this huge complex thing with all these extra metrics and you got to make sure that they have this and that. For me, it's simple. What does the player do well? What doesn't he do well? Uh, the next thing that I look at is situational responses. Now, this is big to me, you know, on third downs for a quarterback, final two minutes, uh, red zone or the green zone looking at how guys respond in those areas because those are crucial game changers. And then is there anything special about the guy? There's nothing wrong with being just a good functional football player, but if a guy has something that stands out, that might give them a little bit more of an edge. And do they respond to challenges well? You know, do they play up to competition? You know, do, do they fold under competition? So those are the things I look out for in that order uh, to scout a player. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. Certain things you kind of have to look at uh, pertaining to certain positions. I like how you brought up situationally for a quarterback. I tend to look at that as well. And, you know, guys that bring something extra, you mentioned that. I tend to look at that in in the same realm of the it factor. You know, like if you're a defensive end, 
and it's third and six, and they need that sack, and you're the guy that goes and gets that sack. I, I tend to like that uh, about a player that has a great sense of time. Or if you're a running back, and it's third and four, and you're down by four, and your team needs you to pick up this first down, you end up popping that thing for a long touchdown. So players that have a great sense of timing always do well in my book, and I want those guys that are able to you know, rise to that level of, of competition or level of, of the moment, so to speak. Absolutely. Now, looking at some of these games, we talked about how I'll be at Hawaii UMass. Let's let's start with one out west in the Mountain West Conference where we have Mountain West versus Pac-12. Oregon State at Colorado State. Under the radar game, Oregon State has some really good junior prospects. They're a young football team. Um, but they have a really good linebacker, Manez Hungalu, and a good safety in Brandon Arnold. I like Hungalu's aggressiveness toward the ball carry. He has great closing speed to the ball carry and to the quarterback. But Brandon Arnold, we saw him play last year in that secondary as we were scouting uh, Tristan Deku, who ended up playing well at the East-West Shrine game. But I think Arnold's a really good safety. He's more of a, a combo guy, not a true free safety, but a guy that can definitely play with the, the ball in front of him and make plays on it. I think he has very solid ball skills. But I'm looking forward to seeing how Hungalu does versus the run. And we know Colorado State is one of those teams with Mike Bobo out there. Shout out to Mike Bobo, the head coach. Uh, he was in the book Football, A Love Story, and What Did Football Teach Me? So shout out to him in that program. But interested to see how he does from a run-stuffing standpoint. The Pac-12 does a great job in, in showing you what a backer can do throwing the football. But I want to see what he can do versus the run. Absolutely. You hope that Oregon State can get back to where they were. They were at once a, a fairly competitive and in some respects, dominant Pac-12, back then Pac-10 team. So you hope that they can get the ball rolling, and this can be the first game of the season to do that for them. Yeah, you look at Colorado State quarterback Nick Stevens. I think he's the one that uh, is drawing a lot of attention because he's thrown to a really good junior wide receiver. Uh, but we're only talking about senior prospects here, guys, that we're looking to see. But, you know, Nick Stevens, to me, has a little Jerry Goff in this game. I think he – tends to get a little flat-footed in the pocket and doesn't really have the, the strong arm uh, to really drive it down the field. Now, if he can throw with anticipation, he has good arc on it. He has good touch. Uh, but I would really like to see him drive the ball a little bit more, see if he's worked on that arm uh, in the offseason. Anybody else in this ball game that sticks out to you? No, got to look out for uh, the guy getting the ball to him, Jake Bennett. Uh, that combination is one of the most important ones in the entire game. If you can't get the center uh, quarterback center exchange, then you can't do much. So let's see how they actually vibe gel and uh, move things forward. Yeah. Justin Sweet is a cornerback that I'm really looking forward to seeing as well. He's going to get tested uh, in run support against this Oregon state offense. Now, like I said before, I'll be at the Hawaii UMass game, but uh, anybody from Hawaii that stands out to you, Chris, you know, they have a physical safety, uh, Trayvon Henderson uh, definitely likes to come up and hit folks, uh, come on blitzes, things like that. He's got solid ball skills. Uh, this guy, to me, is an ideal boxer, even third safety. Uh, fairly able to actually defend a guy in the slot, but uh, I think that he's a guy who likes to come up and roughhouse a little bit. Uh, got a little bit of Jonathan Cyprian when he was at FIU in his game. Yeah, I like Henderson, man. Henderson is one of those guys that he can find the football, and he's he's a they're counting on him to be a big part of this turnaround. We saw Hawaii start out last season in Sydney, Australia, uh, against um, Cal, I believe it was, but they ended up they got blown out in that ball game, but ended up making you know some 
they didn't get blown out. I'm sorry. They were getting blown out and came back, made it interesting, and ultimately lost that game. But I'm excited to see how they finished the season because they ended up finishing strong and ended up making a bowl game. But I like Henderson, um, and I also like the running back they have out there at St. Juice. No, yeah, and this kid is actually he, – he's a bit of a home run hitter. He's not the fastest guy on the planet, but he has lateral quickness that should be able to get him some extra yards. Uh from the tape that I saw, he does have an affinity to bounce outside, but at the end of the day, he can effectively do that against the competition he's facing right now. I don't know why Hawaii just doesn't utilize the talent that they have available. You know, you have all these big Samoan kids, these big Hawaiian kids. They should be the best power rushing offense in the country as opposed to trying to air it out. I don't get it. I almost feel like once something is established, it becomes – that even if the person has nothing to do with it anymore. And June Jones making that program into a more prominent one. Uh, I think they just kind of adopted that as the way to go. But if you look at every other team in the country, whenever a new personality comes in, generally you would expect for there to be some sort of change. I guess that's just the way that they decided to uh, handle Hawaii football. Yeah, we saw Stan Brock, I believe, go into Army and try to make Army a, a West Coast offense, and that didn't last <laughs> no more than two, two and a half years before he ran him out of there and put that wishbone back in it. Like, boy, what is you doing? <laughs> yeah, there is some, some some staples have to remain. <laughs> right. You have, you can't go out there and try to go every with offensive lineman that's 250 pounds. It won't work. Uh, UMass, no. uh, tight end, Adam Brenneman. Listen, if you like – uh, Fumagalli from Wisconsin, you'll love Brenneman out of UMass. I'm excited to see him play. I think he has outstanding skills. You know, in the tape that I watched, he actually reminded me of a guy uh, in Todd Heap. I like the way he attacked the ball. Uh, he had a breakout game against South Carolina, you know, big game, nine for 94 and two touches. But he, he just seems to get it. He understands body control. You know, the offense doesn't require him to be a blocker, so – We'll see how he does on the next level doing that, but definitely a guy that you can move, uh, utilize like, a, like the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers utilize Cameron Burt. Yeah, you know what's funny? I, you, you mentioned Todd Heap. I don't think a lot of people remember how good Todd Heap was at at Arizona State. Man, he was a monster, uh, and he he was he was yeah. that, that's not that you said that. I actually see that with with Brenneman, but that's a good call. Any anybody else for for uh, UMass you keep an eye on? Uh, Steve Casale, uh, actually on the Bronco Nagurski watch list. Uh, I think he's one of the uh, all-independent teamers. But listen, the guy, he's a little undersized. I think he's in the, the, the 220 to 225 range, but he doesn't try to play like it. He tries to play as if he can go through your chest. I really like to see a linebacker that has that mindset, and that can bring you a long way. Yeah, I'm excited to see how these guys compete. I think this game, and this game starts at 6 p.m., I think this one will be a high-scoring game. I don't think any defense will show up in this one. I'm excited to see how UMass competes, and hopefully UMass can get back to being good as well, too. I remember when they were at FCS, uh, I'm sorry, 1AA powerhouse, uh, but now they're kind of in that independent land. And, you know, they, they need to go back to the MAC or try to find their way into the American Athletic Conference. Uh, down your way, man, there's a good game, but it's being – down your way, there's a good team, uh, but they're playing out west in South Florida at San Jose State. Who you keep an eye on? Well, look, it starts and ends with this kid, but Quentin Flowers. We know what he can do, and there's going to be people who question whether or not he can play quarterback on the next level. I don't question young men's ability to play on the next level. I question the way that they're utilized on the next level. He's developed into a, a pretty solid passer. He's only going to continue to develop this season, 
and the things he can do with a good season could actually have him in the Heisman Trophy race. I think he's definitely going to be in the Heisman Trophy race. And, and shout out to Sean King, man, old Tulane, Tampa Bay Buccaneer quarterback. Once he got to South Florida last year, you saw immediate returns on the development of Quentin Flowers. I thought he did a yep. phenomenal job in bringing him up to speed as far as being more of a complete or more of a well-rounded passer. And we saw that on display in, in the bowl game, the Birmingham Bowl against South Carolina. Um, I remember you brought up a guy a while back. Now, I've seen South Florida play a couple times. Uh, they played Temple up this way, and I was at that Temple game. Uh, Augie Sanchez, I, I became a big fan of, and also Dietrich Nichols. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Playmakers, especially Sanchez. Look, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me why some of these teams seem to not be able to compete back in the day or just even a few years ago. There's so much talent here in the state of Florida, and so many guys who can make plays, and these are just two examples of guys who are getting it done. They're going to benefit from having a guy like Charlie Strong in charge of this team, and they're going to be ball hawks. It was at one point in time South Florida used to pump out cornerback talent, man, for I want to say the early Jim Levitt era. Uh, you had Jenkins. Uh, uh, Henry. Uh, what's his name? Philip Henry. You had Mike Jenkins. Um, and uh, Aaron Williams also came out at that time, went to Pittsburgh, I think. Yeah, they they, they pumped out some. Again, I remember I was talking with somebody uh, before. This was maybe like two years ago. And this be, matter of fact, it was before Florida State won that national championship with Jameis Winston. Uh, they were We were talking about why Florida State or Miami aren't the, the same powers like they were even Florida at the time. I was like, well, you look directly at South Florida. Once they popped up and became an FBS program, those dudes that were going to sit on the bench at Florida State or Miami in Florida are now starting at South Florida. So the pop-up in those schools, FAU, FIU, at, at the D1 level, slowly pulled away from, you know, the, the other Florida schools, the big dogs. And, and listen, I can tell you from personal experience, there were multiple dudes who went to University of Florida they got the harsh reality that they were going to be on the bench as freshmen and all those coaches from South Florida, cause it was still a, a one, a double a team back then or from FAU just started up a program. They got calls and they got to play. So they transferred and you're right. The attrition has affected them and made these programs into quality ones. Yeah. FAU became good real quick because of uh, Howard Snellenberger uh, being able to do his, he had a name cache. He started the program back up over there and they pulled some big dogs, and they started out out the gates beating cats. But uh, we talk about South Florida producing cornerbacks, but San Jose State has quietly been the same way in producing defensive back talent. They got another good one in Andre Sachery, uh, the corner. Well, what are your thoughts on his game? <laughs> he's going to be tested, so we're going to get to see how he's able to actually hold up. Uh, great competition for him. Uh, need to familiarize myself a little bit more with the young man, but at the same point in time, I, I will be watching that game. That will be one on the slate since I'm here in Tampa, Florida, and uh, I like to keep a close eye on those bulls since I graduated from there. Well, I like Sashery as, as an off-corner. He kind of reminds me a lot of Tristan Deku of what he did last year at Oregon State. Now, he can't get caught looking in the backfield. He can get caught stuck in transition. I think he has to be a little bit more explosive um, when guys play off, they tend to be a little flat-footed and get comfortable back there. When you know, when guys hit them with those double moves or hit them with a speed out, and they're not ready for it, they can't really get out there 
breaks or, you know, go from a dead stop to really driving on the ball. So I want to see if he can play with a little bit more quickness or a little bit more explosiveness. And, and see, noting, noticing that and realizing it is key because there are some teams that might say, oh, well, we'll just we like his athleticism, so we'll put him in this scheme. But it, it seems like he, from what you're describing, would function better in, let's say, a Seattle Seahawks uh, secondary more than he would in what Oakland is attempting to do, playing lots of man, uh, bump press, things like that, or Arizona and what they're trying to do. Yeah, you get a little grabby in man coverage, and you kind of want to, especially with nowadays what they're going to call those. Uh, I, now, if he was playing in the CFL, then, yeah, they allow you to be a little bit more grabby because of right. how much of a disadvantage you are as a defensive back uh, with the forward motion. But, yeah, he's going to have to stop uh, reaching and grabbing uh, defenders. Otherwise, he's going to get called for a lot of pass interference penalties. We have another game on a FBS schedule, right? Yeah, so we're going to be looking at a, a team that people always seem to forget about, but they always seem to end up in the top ten at the season's end at Stanford, the Cardinals, and they'll be playing at Rice. Pretty interesting uh, little, little game there. Well, they're playing in Sydney. I asked the question, why is Rice playing in Sydney, Australia? Why is Stanford and Rice playing in Sydney, Australia? You know, I'm going to call it the Brain Bowl, I guess. I, I don't know. A <laughs> uh, little bit of history for those out there that don't know. Uh, at one point in time, Rice, Tulane, Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, and Duke were supposed to be the Southern Ivy League. Um, because Tulane and Georgia Tech were leaving the SEC and they were trying to form a Southern Ivy uh, League, but Duke did not want to leave the ACC. So they ended up going – exactly. So you, you look at those teams right there, that would have been a nice Southern Ivy League team, teams, uh, a lot of great education. Football-wise, Rice, Rice was up and down, has been up and down. They've had some success there in recent years. Uh, but now they're back on a downswing. I know two years ago they were in a bowl game. But Rice, I think, has an opportunity to make a statement. This is a great litmus test for their defense, and they have a really good linebacker in Emmanuel Ellerby. Yeah, and I watched the the some game film from the Baylor game last year. This kid is active. He's got a high motor. He's always around the ball. Uh, he plays to his instincts, and I actually like that because you're not overthinking things you're just doing. Uh, so you can refine your skill set and your body's already trained to just do. Uh, and he's definitely got a quick first step. But from what I saw, he's better suited to play that that will or weak side, the middle linebacker, because he seems to be a better chase and tackle type guy because he does struggle wrapping up sometimes. Uh, not really a strength at the same point in time uh, type of guy I take on my team and, again, put him on that uh, weak side. Yeah, I saw the same things, man. I, you know, Especially when you when it comes to getting off blocks, I don't think he wants to be able to. I don't think he wants to get off blocks. That's not his strong suit. Let's put it that way. Uh, but you're right; he's better in that run and chase type mode. Uh, speaking of linebackers, Peter uh, Kalambali for Stanford is another one that's a that's a high name. He was a high highly touted recruit coming out of high school, signed with Stanford, and he's on a lot of lists, a lot of watch lists, uh, and he's one of those guys that can play multiple positions on a defense. Yeah, he's the beneficiary of having to play behind guys like Solomon Thomas and other guys who are playing that that traditional rush-in position. Uh, so he was able to drop back in coverage. I think he familiarized himself with that. Uh, it's very odd how he plays from the perspective that he doesn't seem quick off the ball when he's got his hand in the dirt. But he can close on the ball extremely well in space. Uh, 
I think it's, again, one of those guys who seems to think a little bit too much instead of just doing. Uh, now that he's going to be leaned on, I think that he's going to be able to do a lot better than he did. Uh, when he does rush the pass, he seems to try to use power more than any secondary move. So he's got to learn how to actually utilize some sort of secondary move because power is not going to get you through everyone. Yeah, I want to see a little bit more subtleness from his game, too. I, I agree with you. I think he – I don't know his exact weight, but from the looks of how he moves – I think he could probably add maybe 20 to 30 pounds um, and become a full-time defensive. And he has that Jabal Sheard type body, you know, where, gotcha. you know, he could, he's kind of pigeon-toed a little bit, but it looks, he runs a bit heavy, um, yeah. which is weird because he does show the ability to drop back in coverage and things like that. But I think he may be suited for, for something along the lines of that role uh, as he moves forward. Uh, definitely. And in the same breath, in the same linebacking core, we have uh, Kevin Palma. Uh, now, this is a guy who does get all blocks well. Uh, seems to engage, and he's a good tackler. Uh, he's a, a step late, it seems like, playing in the middle with his read recognition skills, which does get him in trouble and does have him face more blocks than he probably should. Uh, so if he can can quicken that up as well. Uh, wondering if these guys, you know, Stanford's one of the few universities in the country, I think it might be the only FBS one, where you have to qualify for the school before they can actually give you a scholarship. Uh, so maybe these uh, brilliant thinkers are just using their brain a little bit too much and not allowing their instincts to take over. Yeah, and football is really a reactionary game. And you can be smart on the football field, but you have to be quick in your decision and your decisiveness because otherwise, like you said, if you're thinking, you're, you're going to find yourself getting blocked or getting beat. And we see that a lot when we talk about Alex Smith, the quarterback, uh, super genius, but you can tell he's out there thinking too much and overthinking a situation when you just really have to react and get rid of the football. Um, it, it brings up an interesting point because certain things you can see on tape, but it's unique because we've both been to live games. We, we both covered the East-West Ryan game. Uh, shout out to the East-West Ryan game. We cover that constantly. Uh, so we see guys at practice. I know you have been to bowl games. Um, you've been to, uh, what, a, the Florida Classic, which is usually Bethune-Cookman and, and FAMU or someone like that. Right. You know, so – What's the benefit of scouting live? Because I get to a lot of games as well, and we also watch a lot of tape. And there's a, there's a difference, but I want to get your, your opinion on this. What's the, what's the benefit of scouting live versus scouting on tape? So I will say that I prefer to initially scout on tape. It makes things a lot easier because if there's anything that happens, I'm able to reference it again, look at what I want to do. So I set up some notes of, like I said, things that guys do well, what they don't do well. Um, so that's that positive, but there's nothing like the live competition being there because cameras can only follow so much. Even with the all 22, you don't see what goes on when there's things like uh, transfers, the balls kicked off on a punt and a guy's still back trying to fight against the block. Even little things about how the guy responds when the crowd is louder or how they are when the play is not to their side. Are they still chasing? Have they given up? Is a receiver not going to try to block downfield because the ball hasn't been thrown to him in a few plays? So seeing that situational portion live, it really gives you a feel for how the player will respond in different uh, scenarios, and you're immersed in that. And it also gives you an idea of, of certain things, certain attributes. Like for a quarterback, you really get a good gauge on how strong someone's arm is, right? Because on TV and on tape, it kind of – it doesn't it, – we knew Jeff George threw fast. Or through hard, but I'm pretty sure it looked a lot different 
in in person you know um so looking at someone's arm strength is is telling i I know i was at the uh cornell game a couple years ago when i started scouting jeff matthews and going from far left hash to bottom of the numbers on the right side he can get it there on a rope and it's like when you see it live you're just like wow that that is a strong arm and also with speed when you see someone's speed like live you can tell that okay yeah this dude is fast and that particular speed translates it's not you know fcs fast or division two fast like fast is fast i remember i was at a division three game it was a rowan uh william patterson game and this tailback uh forget his name but he ripped off a 99 yard run and it was ridiculous how he just down the middle of the field on the inside zone cut it back and was gone right down the middle of the field and pulled away from everybody. I was like, that dude has a lot of, he has pro speed. Only issue was that he got, he tore his ACL, tore his knee up uh, during the last game of his senior season. And so obviously if you're an NFL scout, this guy is uh, coming from a division three program. He's 185. Um, We could find those guys at Hawaii or something like that. So he didn't really get an opportunity and he didn't, uh, he ended up, going to become a personal trainer so uh, it's a shame because he had real good speed man i was excited to see him play which is the reason why i was at a division three game watching rowan and william patterson but you get a good gauge for someone's speed arm strength uh, and you also don't get to see what happens on the sideline right on film you know that's a good part too when you're seeing how guys respond to maybe injury or what they're doing to motivate their teammates correct you get the whole feel of everything. And I'm glad you brought up the sideline. I was going to mention that because of that is a guy, because if you think about these college games, they generally, unless it's a larger scale college game, don't even follow guys on the sideline, but is the guy interacting with younger players is the guy off to the side. How does he respond to any sort of change? Or uh, if there's a, a quick play, if it's a defensive guy and there's an interception that occurs and it's like, Oh my goodness not again. So it really does give you the whole story. And from the speed aspect, you're correct. Some people haven't had the chance to be on a sideline, but I just give you the example. If you watch a movie, even with the best HD TV and the volume all the way up, like the Fast and Furious, and you're like, wow, they're really speeding. Just go on a sidewalk while a car is doing 45 past you. Completely different feeling, and it's not going that fast. (laughs) So it, it definitely gives you a better feeling no matter how good your technology is to actually be in the presence. Speaking of being in the presence, I've been in the presence of a ton of FCS games, uh, probably more so than the FBS games by now, but uh, I enjoy it. And we're going to look at some FCS games on the schedule. They also have about five, four or five games this week. Uh, We're going to start with one that's an FCS versus FBS. I love these games because it's a great barometer for the, the lower level teams to step up and show what they can do. And this one is Portland State at BYU. Now, BYU, Portland State doesn't have any prospects uh, of note, senior prospects. They're a junior-laden team, um, and, and they do a great job of coaching up the offensive line. I always like watching Portland State uh, offensive line tape because they do a great job up front. But BYU has a linebacker in Fred Warner that I really like. I think he's a really good instinctive ball player, um, and they seem to have turned out a couple of good linebackers as of late. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts on Warner? Going to have to get a little more tape on Warner, but what I do know is what you said, which is they've been pushing out linebackers for the last several years, Kafusi, uh, Vinoy. So 
We know that they're coached well. If this kid has the talent that those guys have, he's going to be a good one. Yeah, Warner, I thought, had um, really good instincts. He, he, he closes well on the ball. The only issue I have with him, and I want to see him do a better job of this year, is getting better pad level. I, I think he tends to reach and grab and, and bring guys down. He's a, so, he's a solid tackler. He's not a forceful tackler, one of those tacklers that explodes into the ball carrier. So he'll bring you down, and he'll wrap up properly. But I think he sort of has to really impose his will in order to really strike fear in the hearts of a ball carrier. I think he does a good job. You know, he, he won't break a tackle, but he also tackles a little bit too high. I want to see that pad level uh get better this season and Portland State's going to run downhill. So he's going to get a lot of action uh, from B gap to B gap. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to get that pad level and get off blocks against those big guards and, and centers of the Vikings. And he actually sounds like a player that played at TCU that had this, a similar problem with Paul Dawson a few years ago where you just you saw him make tackles, but he never really brought the tackle to the guy. It was more of a, okay, let me straighten my technique and make this happen. But you have to force the contact as a linebacker. So it will be interesting going against this style of offense. It will force him to bring that contact to them. Yeah, Richmond and, plays Sam Houston. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that. Uh, we, we have pretty much a juggernaut style game uh, going on here in the FBS, uh, FCS. Excuse me. Uh, you have two teams that made it to the playoffs last year, uh, Richmond. And Sam Houston State, we're familiar with the powerhouse that is Sam Houston State. Uh, Richmond won a couple of games in the playoffs last year. And this, to me, is one of the better FCS matchups, and period, for quarterbacks that could be in the NFL next year. Jeremiah Briscoe, uh, my player comp form from seeing him, is Jason Campbell. Definitely throws a, a nice touch pass on a deep ball. Knows how to take a little bit off when he needs to, but can throw the ball with some some good pace to it. Uh, the one thing I will say to about it is he seems a bit robotic with his motions and a little bit too deliberate with his throwing motion. Uh, so if he straightens that up, becomes a little less stiff, he, he'll probably go places. What's your uh, take on Jeremiah Briscoe? This game, first of all, has a lot of entry. You know, a lot of backstory to this to this ball game. Because this Richmond staff is completely new, right? Uh, last year's Richmond head coach stepped down and ch and took the job in the same conference at Delaware. And so this new coaching staff coached at Chattanooga last year, which means that defense that they coached at Chattanooga last year, that defensive line coach was my old college coach, Kerry Bailey. And Chattanooga played Sam Houston State in the playoffs and had him on the ropes but could not move the ball offensively uh, when he needed to. They took like two unnecessary sacks and got him out of field goal range and ended up losing a very close game. However, what we saw in that game, um, Briscoe could not handle pressure. And then we saw it against uh, Chattanooga, and then we saw it subsequently the following week against James Madison. Did James Madison put like 80 on him? It was 42 nothing. seriously before the half. <laughs> I think it ended up being 65 to seven. It was ridiculous. Right. And so I, I want to see how, and that's the problem because throughout the entire season, no one can get back there to Briscoe. So, you know, no wonder he piled up 50 something touchdown passes and to his credit, he he's able to move the offense. Everything was working perfectly. He was able to get the ball out of his hands quickly, but 
when they came up against a defense that wasn't afraid of their passing game and he had to buy time in the pocket or stay in there a little bit longer, I thought he kind of folded a little bit. So I'm, I want to see him, you know, against the same coaching staff that knows his strengths, knows his weaknesses, and I want to see him get better and a little bit more tougher because I'm pretty sure they're going to bring the heat with that defensive line. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And I want to look at his counterpart. I actually like what's going on on the offense on the other side from Richmond, uh, Kyle Alata. Listen, this is going to sound blasphemous, but I think people take these comps a little bit too seriously. You have to go with what pops in your head. And watching this kid move around and his awkward delivery that seemed to get there and the passes seemed to be perfect off balance, had a little Aaron Rodgers to his game. Again, folks, I'm not saying this kid's Aaron Rodgers by any <laughs> means. I'm just saying it reminded me of that because when I saw him at Cal, Aaron Rodgers was off balance half the time, and I didn't understand how he was making passes happen. So it just popped into my head. Uh, and he has a tight end in Garrett Hudson, who uh, is a Chris Cooley type, that that classic H-back, throwing the ball in the flat. He'll get some yards for you. Uh kind of a bruiser who can catch the ball pretty well. I think he set all school records last year for tight ends receiving the ball. Yeah, I like him too, man. He's a really good tight end. And and little tidbit about Luletta is the fact that this guy is he got he tore his ACL the last game of the regular season, right before they were going into the playoffs. And their backup, Kevin Johnson, who's also a very solid player, uh ended up helping them beat North Carolina AT and going to North Dakota and upsetting the fighting Hawks. Um, before they lost in the third round. So Luletta comes back. He's talented. And again, this was he was a quarterback when they beat Virginia in, in the opening week. So you're right. He's a really good passer. Uh, I like him better than Briscoe, quite honestly. But Hudson Agreed. is one of those those uh, tight end prospects that we've seen the FCS pump out in, over the last couple seasons. And he got a listen, the FCS has three elite prospects right now at tight end. Dallas Godert out of San, uh, South Dakota State, um, Ross Dwelly out of San Diego, and Andrew Vollard out of Weber State. Hudson is just as good, and that shows you the depth of talent at the tight end position. So I like Hudson. Uh, I also like P.J. Hall for uh, San, uh, Sam Houston State. He's a defensive lineman. It feels like P.J. Hall has been there for 10 years because he was a freshman All-American, a sophomore All-American, and he was an All-American last year. And he's a preseason All-American. So he's going to be a four-time All-American uh, on that defensive line, 6'1", 280, um, but really good off the ball. And, you know, we had a discussion in another podcast, one of our ciphers, where we talked about a guy who had all the physical tools in Robin Kondishi but didn't seem to make plays. This kid is the exact opposite. He makes plays. He's had double-digit sacks every season. Um, they line him up at, at defensive end. I actually think he could kick in and play tackle because he has put on a little weight. I think he's around 300 now. Okay. But still still seems to play and exchange power very well. Uh, and he's able to get back in the backfield and be disruptive. So I, I stick to this. It doesn't make sense to me why people don't think that if you're successful doing something that's your craft, that you're going to not be successful when you go to the next level of doing it. They say, oh, people get better. Well, so do you. So this kid is one of those guys that needs to be given more credit. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see. I think he's going to probably be one of those trying game invites. Uh, he's definitely earned it. Four-time All-American, he deserves to be there. Um, Sam Houston State also has some speed on the perimeter in Yedidiah Lewis, <laughs> a, a, a New Orleans guy that, you know, Hurricane Katrina uh, transplant that Man. ended up going to high school in Texas, but from New Orleans. 
and Corey Avery. Those two dudes, if you give them, if Look. they get any lane, it's over. <laughs> Yedadiah Lewis. Look, it was personal when he played LSU because he made them look silly on a couple of plays. <laughs> look, look stupid. Uh, heck of an athlete, two-sport athlete, and you're right. He's got some – I don't want to call him Tyreek Hill. That's just the easy go-to now where he doesn't run the best routes. He's a better receiver than Hill because mm-hmm. he is an actual wide receiver. Uh, good hands, attacks the ball. But this dude is a quick cutter, like full speed. Yeah, yeah. If you give him a lane, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> <laughs> not the yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> right but i but you described it perfectly man like he is a quick cutter and that that's why uh sam houston state had a lot of they gave a lot of teams problems last year because they didn't have to go deep but when they did it was you know it was a touchdown but they go short they play east and west they're gonna beat you that way too so excited to see those guys get out there and see what they could do as seniors um good meak Swack matchup here between Texas Southern and Florida A&M and they traveled down to Tallahassee to take on Texas Southern and Texas Southern um, second year head coach Mike Haywood, uh, former LSU running backs coach, uh, former Miami of Ohio head coach nearly was the pit head coach but you know had that issue that ended up getting dropped but they ended up firing him what a week after he took the job and then he was out of coaching for what two years and now he got the head coaching job at Texas Southern, and he's doing a great job. What I like about what he's doing is he's bringing that, that SEC style to the SWAC. You saw Texas Southern last year line up in double tight end sets, fullback. They were beating teams up on the line of scrimmage. And they have a really good defensive back in Dondre Dobbins, I think, uh, has potential to play at the next level. He's, he's, he's one that has very good ball skills. He can play corner or safety, but I, I like him more as a safety prospect moving forward. When you're going to see the matchup, maybe they'll they'll have some times when he's uh, guarding FAMU's Brandon Norwood. Uh, so let's see how that one goes because that's a guy who has the talent to play on the next level as well. Man, and he got a, FAMU has a really good quarterback, man, in uh, Stanley, Ryan Stanley. Uh, he's a junior, uh, sorry, a sophomore, but he's not your typical HBCU quarterback. You know, he's a white dude with long golden locks hair. Look. But it's country as hell, though, man. You got to love him. Sunshine. Sunshine. And he's out there slinging it. And so <laughs> he was good as a freshman. He's about 6'3", 195. And he's the incumbent starter. And now, you know, when, when you look at head coach Alex Wood down there building that program back to where I remember, we remember when FAMU was a powerhouse in, in uh, MEAC. And, you know, they got a good quarterback. He has a good receiver to throw to in Brandon Norwood. So we'll see if they can make some noise in MEAC this year. So, uh, th- that's a good matchup that I would like to see. Uh, even if they're not matched up against each other, Brandon Norwood is one heck of a receiver. Absolutely. And this is one of those, game, one of those games where, you know, these aren't the traditional powerhouse teams like we discussed a couple of earlier, but this is going to be a very emotional game. You know, it's, it's for the pride of those conferences, HBCU conferences, you know, SWAC versus MEAC. So, you know, they're both going to bring it and, uh, I expect a, a pretty good one, especially with FAMU slinging the ball around the yard. And then we look at the next one that we're looking at, and this is Chattanooga, the Mox. We discussed what happened with their head coach uh, earlier, and they're uh, playing against Jacksonville State, another team that every time you turn on a game, they're playing against an SEC team and literally giving that SEC team a run, if not beating them. Uh, so you look at what the, the Mox have, you look at Alejandro Benefield. What do you think of him? 
I like Benefield, man. And it, the thing is, you know, he was he was solid. He was what they needed at Chattanooga, a guy that can really push the ball downfield. The previous quarterback was a record setter, but he's now with the New York Giants playing fullback in uh, uh, Ross um, Hust- um, Jacob Huseman. His his father is the head coach at Richmond now, Russ Huseman. Um, but Benefield gets there. Now the passing game opens up. They're able to run the football. They got balanced. Their defense is excellent. Um, so I like Benefield. And the good part about Chattanooga, they went out and grabbed. Normally you don't see a Division three coach jump all the way up to the Division one level, but they went out and grabbed Tom Arth, who played in the NFL, played in NFL Europe, uh, but coached at John Carroll, a Division three program in Ohio, a really good one. And they had a really good prospect two years ago, Mike uh, Mark Myers. Uh, tremendous pass, a left-handed quarterback. So I think bringing him in and matching him up with Alejandro Benefield for his final season is going to be awesome. So I, I like the accuracy. I like the athleticism. He's a little Brad Kaya to me. Um, but for the FCS level, that's a pretty decent quarterback. Absolutely. It's a guy who can actually make the throws that you need. It might not have the, the, the pop that some people desire, but uh, to me that doesn't matter as long as he's efficient and gets the ball where he needs to go. But if he gets in any trouble, he can turn around and hand the ball off to Daryl Bridges, the running back. Now, here's the thing with Bridges. Now, I like Bridges, and, and Bridges, he, he's a graduate transfer. So he was at Presbyterian the last four seasons, three seasons, right? And – had he stayed, Presbyterian probably would have been a team that was a, would have been a fly in the ointment in the Big South, but he left. And he, all of a sudden, it, he pops up on Chattanooga's roster. And Bridges is a tremendous tailback. He was, he was Presbyterian's only offensive option. So I understand why he left. And he landed in a great spot because he has a quarterback that's going to open things up for him. So Bridges is going to surprise some people because he would have got lost in the shuffle uh, down there at, uh, at Presbyterian. But with Chattanooga, I think he's gonna he's gonna you're gonna see the speed, you're gonna see his his versatility. He's a really good receiver, downfield receiver. So I think he went to the perfect offense. Um, he's gonna hit the ground running. Absolutely. And on the other side of the ball, you're gonna have guys trying to stop this offense, including uh corners like Reggie Hall and getting after the quarterback, a guy like Darius Jackson. What do you think about Jackson? Jackson is probably gonna be one of those senior bowl guys, and we talk about BYU at linebackers, uh, Stanford with linebackers and offensive linemen. But quietly, the last couple of years, I would say last three or four years, Jacksonville State has produced some solid front seven players. And granted, with a little caveat, some of those guys are transfers from FBS. I get it. But that's not to discredit the fact that John Grouse be recruiting his ass off and, and developing his ass off with these defensive players. So Jackson is probably going to be an outside linebacker. At the next level, it's about 6'3", 240. Um, so he's going to be an outside linebacker. Him and Joe McCandless are those guys that can really run and chase, and, and, and they bring power when they come and tackle you. So I like those two. And Reggie Hall is a 6'3", corner. So we already know what that looks like to the NFL. And the fact that he led the team in picks, um, brought one back to the house, so he got the matchup skills. And they play in the Ohio Valley Conference where you're playing against um, – you're playing against a UT Martin, a Tennessee Tech with, with Coach Marcus Satterfield airing the football out there. Uh, you're playing against the Eastern Kentucky, a Tennessee State. So he's seen a lot of passes. He's seen a lot of, uh, you know, aerial offenses. 
and the fact that they get deep into the playoffs, they're playing teams that can throw the football. I'm a big fan of Reggie Hall's game. And you were saying Jacksonville State has produced uh, quite a few front seven people. It reminds me of back when Troy was Troy State, and they were pushing out players on that defensive line, uh, Sheffield and Humaniora, and, and I'm pretty sure Demarcus uh, Ware went there as Marcus well. Ware, yep, Demarcus Ware. So shout out to Troy uh, State. Some about football at its finest. You know exactly. They also have really good running back in Rock Thomas too. That's um one of those guys that that's gonna end up making the camp like Tremont Pope and sticking around in, in the league. I, I think I forgot where Pope is now. I know he was at Seattle, but he's not there anymore. But he's a really good running back. Also, Justin Lee is a really good center prospect. I think he's more of an NFL PA type guy, but he's gonna be one to keep an eye on. Yeah, no, and that, and that's one of the things is you just have to kind of play your way into one of these games, hope that you get noticed. And the good thing is that having a program like Jacksonville State, uh, you kind of get that cachet that normally an FCS team, unfortunately, does not get the credit that they deserve for. So that can actually get them in a game like the East-West Shrine game. Again, shout out to how they handle things. World-class organization with the way that they uh, take care of everyone who is involved over there. Yo, and to be honest, the defensive backs for – Chattanooga are real good. Lucas Webb and Trevor Wright, they're outstanding. And I know their defensive back coach as well. Uh, he does a good job. And he's now with Richmond, obviously. Uh, but they are ready to go. So this is going to be a great matchup. This is actually the kickoff classic for the FCS, or the FCS kickoff uh, is going to be played in Montgomery, Alabama. So I'm excited about this, man. So we we covered a lot, man. This, this opening week or week zero of college football, uh, any lasting thoughts before we get out of here? The biggest thing is that there's contrasting styles. And also, uh, you can even look to a game like Portland State versus BYU, where there is a clear favorite versus a, a small-time team, quote-unquote. Those are the games where Portland State might get a guy that actually makes a name for itself. So these will be some good ones to watch out for. All you Alabama and Florida State fans, blah, blah, blah. Just watch some of these games. Trust me, it's good football. You'll enjoy it if you actually give it a chance. Absolutely, man. And, Chris, we'll probably reconvene next week. We'll figure out where we're going to be, where we're going to be scouting. I know I'll be at that Hawaii-UMass game, so be on the lookout for my tweets and scouting reports, uh, scouting notes, I'm sorry, post game. But that's Chris James. Follow him on Twitter at CJFlorida9. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. You can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. So that has been a wrap for this edition of the Scout Team Podcast.